Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today, we are talking to CapEx Obsessive, Charles Fitzgerald of the Platformonomics blog. And whew, I said it right the first time. He is, a, he is a fascinating character who's been around the industry for a while, and he takes a, a somewhat unique perspective on how to judge what the public clouds are doing. Right, Ethan? Well, yes, uh, that is how much are they spending on their infrastructure? And he's got all kinds of measurements and metrics that demonstrate exactly how much of an investment AWS and Azure and GCP and a lot of other folks are making in their clouds, a metric by which we engineers can judge how serious should we take these people? Right. That has been, you know, a growing concern. Is cloud repatriation happening? Do I have to worry about these alternative clouds? And I think Charles helps us get some perspective on what's going on. So enjoy this show with Charles Fitzgerald. All right, Charles, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Let's get started with some introductions. Who are you and what would you say you do around here? Well, I'm Charles Fitzgerald. I'm a Seattle-based angel investor focusing mostly on developer platforms, infrastructure, other kinds of plumbing. Spent over 20 years working on platform businesses at Microsoft and, and VMware. I basically do color commentary on Twitter, Elon uh, allowing. Um, and I'm a bit of a CapEx obsessive, so that's why we're here today. That, that is certainly how... Oh, go ahead, Ethan. Now, when you say angel investor, Charles, as in very early seed, someone's trying to get started, you as an angel investor might come up with a with a check out of your bank account and uh, help those folks get started on whatever their vision is? Yep. So working with super early stage companies, maybe just one, two, three people, an idea, maybe a dog. Right. And then just growing that idea out until they're ready for their seed round, I think is yep. that's, that's how it goes. Well, there's a whole Something stage, like <laughs> a whole ladder of capital you can go and raise, but it's really fun to get involved early on. Often the founders are from an engineering background, so they maybe don't have a business or a marketing background. So the opportunity to help them um, kind of figure out not just what they're building, but how they're going to turn it into a business. I really enjoy that. And being able to see a lot of those, it's intellectually stimulating um, and you don't have to do all the hard work for years on end. Right, right. And I imagine it keeps you engaged with what is new and developing in the tech sphere as opposed to what the lumbering giants are doing. Yeah, you definitely see the new ideas and, you know, often there are waves of stuff that will come along about the same time where there's some new trend. You know, it's all AI all the time right now. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> Oh, it's inescapable. Every almost every other uh, item in my news feed is AI something, and well, frankly, it's it's much more real and a much bigger opportunity than you know a bunch of the trends we've seen over the last five plus years. I will say it seems like it has more actual utility than crypto. So <laughs> that would be one. You know, Thanks for that low bar, kinda, though, Ned. Come on, the metaverse kind of came and went. No legs. Yes. Had no, that metaverse just had no legs. I love those leg jokes. It's an <laughs> arms race in legs. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned CapEx a little earlier, and that's actually how I came to be aware of you and your blog, Platformnomics. That is yep. a hard thing to say out loud. Uh, it was because of an article you wrote about CapEx spending by the major cloud companies out there. And as someone who's usually really focused on the tech and, and what they're developing from that perspective, it was really interesting to see how you approached 
what the cloud companies are doing from CapEx. So let's start with that. Why does CapEx matter when you're looking at these companies? Sure. Well, let me just give you a little background. I mean, CapEx is short for capital expenditures, and it's basically the money that companies spend on plant, equipment, machinery. The idea is you build some some big piece or buy some big piece of machinery, and it's going to yield a return over time. Um, so it really is about investing in productive capacity. And my awakening goes back boy, probably 15 years ago, towards the end of my time at Microsoft. And you know, I was sitting in a presentation on the company's data center build out. And prior to that, you know, CapEx at Microsoft was, hey, you get a new laptop. And suddenly the companies now, look, they're bulldozers and concrete and buildings you can see from space. And it just, it was very, very real world compared to that traditional um, software background. And I started to use it as a tell for, is a company serious about cloud? Everybody was talking about cloud. Some of them were backing it up with huge increases in their capital expenditures. And some of them were just, you know, talking a good game. And it turned out to be a really good tell. You could tell who was going to make it, who wasn't going to make it. So if you're a practitioner, um, you know, you're always trying to evaluate your vendors and figure out if they're going to be around, are they going to be successful? Um, CapEx is a great lens if you're assessing a, a cloud vendor. You know, I'm sure there are customers out there who listen to the whole IBM cloud pitch and, and made a mistake and bet on IBM's cloud. And if you'd looked at their CapEx, you would have realized, you know, lots of TV ads, but the actual expenditure was going down year over year over the course of the last 10 years. So it might have saved you for some trouble. So it's just, it's a great lens in a, in a space where the ante, the poker chip to go play in the cloud business is now, you know, $100 billion plus if you're going to play at the top tier. So if your vendor's not spending, they're probably not in the game. Well, okay, dive into that. How does CapEx, if they're spending, that's, that means good things, it sounds like it signals to you. And if good they're not things, spending, right. they're I not mean, serious. I mean, so dive into that. Explain that to us. Cap, CapEx is a prereq. You want to offer a cloud, you need to have data centers, you need to have networking gear, you need to have lots and lots of servers. So when, as a customer, I go and say, hey, I want to use this particular service, there's actually capacity there behind it. And it's also a tell whether you're successful or not. Because if you're having to spend more and more and more, presumably you filled up that existing capacity. So it is about providing uh, capacity that customers can go and, and take advantage of. If the cloud is someone else's data center, then CapEx indicates they're building the data center I'm going yeah, to yeah. use. Cap, if they're CapEx not spending. CapEx is the data centers, right? All of the, the big cloud guys have built a global scale computer. And it is housed in these enormous buildings. They have billions and millions of servers. A lot of the transoceanic cables at this point are owned by the, the cloud companies to network all those data centers together. It is just, it's an awe-inspiring piece of engineering. And, you know, each of the, the big three between Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, they probably spent $150 billion to build out that global scale computer. But... I we don't all need global scale necessarily, Charles. I mean, you, you, you took a dig at IBM. You know, they still had a product there that was uh, viable. Uh, doesn't it mean, I couldn't I have had some utility, even though they weren't doing all the big spends and doing a, a global build out? 
does that mean I just shouldn't use the product for that reason? Well, I mean, they're, they're software, they're software that makes all this stuff go. So if I'm building, writing all the software to build a cloud platform and have a broad array of services, am I amortizing that across 50,000 servers? I mean, some IBM exec was recently bragging that they had 50,000 servers. I mean, I'm pretty sure there are teams at AWS that have lost track of that many servers, you know, in the, in the team couch. Um, the big players have millions and millions of servers. So from a software economics standpoint, you know, you're going to pay the same amount to build out all that software. And are you then spreading it across millions, even tens of millions of servers around the world? Or is it on, you know, I got a, I got a couple machines on a rack in my basement. Right. To what degree does CapEx spending over time indicate reinvestment in the platform? Because that's something else I would want to keep track of if I was working with a vendor. Are they taking the revenue they're pulling in and reinvesting it in the platform to make it more robust or expand? Yeah, or- I mean, the, the investment relative to revenue. So AWS has started to break out their CapEx spending. And so you can go look at AWS revenue and AWS CapEx. In 2022, AWS was still reinvesting 35% of their revenue in CapEx. Mm. And that's the lowest percentage in a decade. But they they are investing massively and presumably they're investing ahead of customer demand. So, you know, if you're going to show up six months from now, they need to spend now to make sure the data center building is there and it's networked up and the servers are deployed and everything else. So it is a, and you know, you also see upgrades in the technology. So, you know, there are a bunch of EC2 instances that you probably can't buy anymore because they're old hardware. Um, so you can also, as they start to deploy new instances, um, you know, that's new CapEx, new servers that have to be deployed. You know, these guys are, are building their own silicon at this point. I mean, the vertical integration from they build their own chips, you know, they design their own boxes, they own the trans, transoceanic cables. I mean, it's just, it is a staggering amount of vertical integration for these global scale computers. I think it's wild to look back. You were saying 15 years ago, that was around the very early days of Microsoft Azure. I don't even know if Azure was a thing. That was pre-Azure. Azure was yeah. a couple of years after, after that. But, you know, watching, if you go back and look, and I've kind of tracked all the numbers through the 21st century, Microsoft used to spend 2-3% of its revenue on CapEx. So that was basically laptops and desks and office buildings, and that was about it. And that number now is very consistently about 14%. And so you look at that curve over time, and you can just see this huge takeoff for the pure software companies. You know, Google's always spent a lot on infrastructure. Amazon has had kind of this crazy idea of we don't want to book any accounting profits. We're going to take every penny of free cash flow and go reinvest it in whether it was data centers on the AWS side or, you know, satellite constellations or warehouses or planes, trains, automobiles. I mean, they have just consistently taken that money and reinvested it. And, you know, you look at those three companies between Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, they've spent almost $700 billion on CapEx in the 21st century. I mean, it is just a staggering amount of money. Right. So looking at those trends, and you already sort of mentioned AWS, but the big three that most people tend to think of, Azure, AWS, and GCP, 
if you're looking at their investment trends over the last few years, what conclusions could you potentially draw for those three providers? Well, they all disclose different stuff. So at, at the top line, I have tracked all of CapEx across Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. And each of those companies do different things. There are different things in those numbers. Um, Amazon's actually started breaking it out so that you can track AWS in particular. But if we look at last year, those three companies collectively spent $127 billion dollars. Over the last two years, it's about $250 billion. And that's actually 2022 was the slowest year of growth. It was only up two and a half percent. But the reason it slowed is because Amazon, after a couple of years of sort of drunken spending during the pandemic on the retail side of the business, where, you know, they were building out warehouses and fulfillment and, and all that stuff, um, they cut that pretty dramatically. But the data center investment on the AWS side continued to go up. So last year you saw Amazon actually was down um, by 9% to a little over $67 billion. Google and Microsoft were both up double digits, 31 billion and, and 28 billion respectively. And I think of, of Google and Microsoft, I think about 70% of their CapEx is going into data centers. And on the AWS side, they actually, you know, they're, CapEx spending in 2022 was still up 25%. So the investment on the data centers continues to go, go, go. Wow. So uh, there are some people that are very concerned about rumors and promises or ideas that were thrown around about GCP and how if it doesn't, you know, grab, I think the number two slot by a certain time, they're going to shut the whole thing down. Do you, can you see any indication of GCP shutting down in like a few years or? <laughs> You think I I don't know if they'll shut it down, but I'm I'm pretty skeptical of their ability to rise higher than a, a distant number three. And the reason for that is Google Cloud is basically a hobby. You know, Apple made it cool for trillion dollar tech companies to have hobbies with Apple TV. You know, it gives them something to putter around with after a hard day in the, the smartphone wars. But if you look at Google Cloud relative to the rest of the business, I mean, if I'm Sundar, I used to say when he wakes up in the morning, Google Cloud at best is fifth on the list of things that he cares about. It's behind search. It's just behind display ads, it's behind YouTube, it's behind Android. And all those things reinforce each other. They're all part of the ad franchise. Um, whereas, you know, Google Cloud, it's less than 10% of their revenue. Um, they have a whole bunch of new problems at the corporate level that probably push it down from the fifth most important thing. They have, they have antitrust suits galore, and now they have this kind of freak out around chat GTP and what that means for the core search franchise. You know, over three months ago, they did the code red, code red, um, and they followed that up with a, a 10-eared press event in Paris where the CEO didn't show up. So my joke is it was more code rouge than code red. Um, but you got to believe that's where management focus is going. That's where um, all of the emphasis inside the company. And if you look at Google Cloud, it has very little synergy with the rest of Google. It's a different kind of employee. You know, they sell to a different kind of customer. It's a different set of partners. It's a different set of channels, um, different business models. There's very, very little synergy with the rest of the business. And even, even their infrastructure, which is, 
you know, it's kind of a, a tail that doesn't wag the rest of the infrastructure dog because the bulk of their infrastructure goes to support search and ads and YouTube and everything else. The infrastructure requirements are diverging um, from the rest of Google. So I think they have some, some real challenges. And, you know, the big proposition we've seen out of Google Cloud has been, hey, we're an AI first company. You know, we'll help you, Mr. Random Enterprise, figure out how to do AI. And now that whole proposition is, is up in the air. So I look at them, it's a small business. Um, they're growing about the same rate as Azure. And they're you know, somewhere between a third and a half the size. So mathematically, that means they're never, ever going to catch up. So, you know, hobbies are fun and good times, but, you know, the good times are over and Google's kind of got to get onto a wartime footing and really go and, and protect the core franchise. So, you know, we'll see how much love and attention and tolerance for losses Google Cloud gets going forward. You think there's any companies in the next tier of providers that could encroach on the big three, maybe supplant Google at number three? Um, you know, AWS, Azure, GCP are in a league by themselves. If you just look at the the aggregate spend, I mean, I also, in addition to tracking the clouds, I also track what I call the clowns um, in contrast to the clouds. So these are the companies that talk a good game, but uh, maybe uh, don't have the CapEx spending that shows they're actually in it. And Oracle at this point is probably the king of the clowns in the sense that they are the, the biggest non-hypercloud company. And, you know, Oracle poo-pooed the cloud about 10 years ago. And suddenly, not suddenly, but over the last decade, they've seen their database share decline dramatically. I mean, it's down from roughly 50% to about 20% because all the new database instances are showing up in the cloud. So they should have woken up 10 years ago and they have kind of woken up. The problem they have is they're about $150 billion in cumulative spend behind. So they've doubled their CapEx spending in each of the last two years, but they're up to $8 billion a year. And so AWS, Google, Microsoft are spending two or three times that um, every year. And that's on top of $100 billion plus in cumulative spend. So it's very, very hard to see how they catch up. And then you start to look at the people in the tier below that. And, you know, their CapEx investment is just teeny, 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 so teeny. You're talking about the alternatives like DigitalOcean and Vulture and Linode and those kind yep. of folks? Yeah. And they're just, they're teeny little companies. So how they, you know, you've got to kind of outspend to get to the same level of scale. And the expectations are, okay, you're going to have 200 services. You're going to be in 30, 40, 50 different countries. You're going to have multiple availability zones. All of that takes CapEx to build that out. And while you're trying to catch up, you know, guess what? AWS, Google, Microsoft will spend another, you know, $20, $30 billion a piece next year. And so the, re the reality is they fall further and further behind with every passing year. But I'd argue it depends because, okay, so I'm a Vulture customer, for instance, but I have a different use case than the average enterprise. I'm a small business. What am I using Vulture for? I need to run a few VPSs, do some DNS, and do, do a few other services that they provide for me very economically. And geographically, they're in the places I need to be. I need to be in the UK, I need to be in the West Coast and the East Coast of the US and a few other places. And they're there, they're good enough. 
So they've got my dollars. I have no compelling reason. But to that's, go the I mean, trade. that's a hosting hosting service rather than a, a full cloud provider. Fair, and for fair. what you're doing, that that may be great. And, you know, there are lots and lots of niche opportunities. I mean, if you look at the scale of this business, which is pushing hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue, the niche opportunities can be quite, quite large. But I'm very skeptical that anybody's going to come and challenge the existing three um, to play the game that those three play today. Um, there may be people who who chase specific niches. There may be people who have a very different approach. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm interested in the CDN guys, right? They are their capex spending is not in the same class. Um, they're a couple of order of, orders of magnitude smaller. But you know, anytime you see a powerful software platform integrated with a global infrastructure footprint, eh, that's pretty interesting. Fly.io. Uh... Yep, and, like and you know, the Cloudflare stuff, workers, you know, they're starting to chase some of these scenarios. So I think if you want to compete with the big cloud guys, head on is uh, is difficult, mm -hmm. but there may be opportunities to take a different approach and, and, you know, at least chip away specific use cases, specific niches, specific verticals. So in your right. definition of CapEx and spending on all hardware and geographic distribution and fiber optic cabling and so on, do you also include the service offerings uh, where there's all these different PaaS services and various quote unquote cloud native services, or they've got some kind of a uh, automated Kubernetes offering, you know, that kind of thing. Does that, because you got to pay to Yeah, the actual R&D spend tends, doesn't show up in the, the CapEx. Okay. line item. The CapEx is its plant, its equipment. So it is servers, it's switches, it's buildings, it's fiber, it's, yep. you know, backup, power generators, that kind of stuff. So in your take, there's no way these smaller players could ever compete with the big three because they can't catch up even if they wanted to. I, there's just no way to, you know, if you said next year, okay, I've got a hundred billion dollars to spend, you know, there's no way they have enough employees, enough capability to go deploy that. So you're, they are falling further and further behind with every passing year. So the head on attack is nuts, right? They should go, go pick their niche. And if that niche is, you know, hosting your server or specific verticals or specific geos or whatever it is, but to be a breadth provider comparable to AWS, Azure, and GCP, it's just, I, I don't know how you do the math to get there, right? The number of companies that can spend that kind of money. At this point, we used to look at the energy guys, we used to look at the telecom guys and think of them as the biggest spenders on CapEx. At this point, the cloud guys outspend pretty much all the telcos. They outspend all the energy guys with the exception of Saudi Aramco. Um, the chip guys, ironically, I mean, the, the two companies that outspend the cloud guys are Samsung and TSMC. But even companies like Intel are now behind the cloud guys, which is 
you know, kind of an indication of, of Intel's problems overall. But they're just, they're very few companies that spend this kind of money. If you look at the other tech guys, you know, Apple is highly unlikely to go chase a business selling enterprise computing services. That's just not what they do, but they have the resources, maybe not the skill sets to go build that out. And then there's Facebook and Facebook actually has spent a comparable amount to Microsoft and Google. Some big chunk of that has gone into the the metaverse and the you know hardware tooling and all the other stuff around that bet. But they've announced they're going to slash capex spending pretty significantly going forward. And even if Facebook tomorrow announced they were going to offer a, a cloud platform, you know I I struggle to see why developers would trust them given their history of you know betraying uh, developers in the past. It's just it's not their business model to be a platform provider, right? They're an ad company. So there just aren't that many people with enough money to, to go play in this game, never mind the skill set and the focus and, and the desire to catch up, right? You needed to start 10 years ago. I think, yeah, I think the big area of opportunity that you sort of mentioned was the edge and what's happening there with Cloudflare and Akamai. Especially uh, Akamai has started scooping up these other cloud, uh, smaller clouds like Linode to expand the breadth of their op offerings to include more services at the edge. So while they're not as big as something like Azure or AWS today, I can see the edge expanding into uh, what the public clouds are doing, but they're not going to take that lying down. It's not like AWS is just going to ignore the edge. Yeah, and they're not. It, I, I always think of this in terms of what's the relevant software architecture. The clouds are perfectly capable of putting their software architectures anywhere you want. It. And they do that today with Outposts and Azure Stack. And, um, you know, they can they can put the software anywhere. And to think that Akamai or Cloudflare or, or Fastly or any of these guys have the software R&D um, muscle and scale to go compete across the board, I'm pretty skeptical about. Let's shift the conversation to another trend that we've been hearing a lot of noise about, but I don't know if there's any actual meat there. And it's th there's been a whole bunch of think pieces about cloud repatriation recently. And, and they've been prognosticating that it's coming to, to uh, a head and that, you know, AWS and Azure are going to start losing customers like crazy. Are you seeing anything to indicate that cloud repatriation is a growing concern for the cloud providers? The short answer would be no. I mean, I, I've watched these things go by and I'm pretty skeptical too. And we have, you know, there's a long history of various cloud washing efforts to try to make, you know, Maybe it's the old stuff look new. So whether it's private cloud, a lot of the edge stuff goes into that that category where it's telcos or real estate people or you know guys who just happen to sell servers who want to talk about this stuff. Um, so I, you know, in the case of cloud repatriation, um, there are a set of people who have things they want to sell, and a lot of the advocates really do have an agenda here. So I I went and I was trying to see if it was a real trend. If this is happening, we ought to be able to see it in somebody's numbers. So I did a super quick and dirty index, which was let's look at Equinix and Digital Realty's revenue relative to AWS. 
and you know you're seeing the large scale cloud guys their revenue growth is slowing down mostly because they're pushing 100 billion dollar businesses so there's a bit of the law of large numbers in action there but we ought to be able to see you know you would expect that if repatriation is happening some of these data center providers would be the obvious benefits and when you go look at the numbers you just you don't see it it's not happening they're actually losing ground to to aws so um, I think it's an interesting story and, you know, people always like to have narratives that help sell their stuff, but I don't, I don't see it happening at scale. It's really a discussion of a couple of different anecdotes and that's about it. Well, do you think that's the only place that folks would be repatriating to is, you know, Equinix, Digital these sorts of places where you're going to do colo as opposed to what I think some companies are doing would be they never entirely left their on-premises facilities and they're just bringing some of those workloads back to those existing facilities they never entirely got out of in which case it's not going to show up on uh, equinix's books yeah it won't show up there but you know most companies have realized it's crazy to be in the data center business and you know you can go rent uh, power and pipe from equinix or whoever um, odds are they're going to manage that stuff better than the average IT organization. <laughs> um, so, you know, there are still legacy data centers around, but I'm sure most of those companies can't wait till they can shut those things down. But, but you know, if if that's where most of the repatriation is happening, yeah, my my numbers won't won't surface that. What about the traditional hardware vendors that might be benefiting from? Uh, a wave of repatriation back to on-prem because, you know, in theory, if you were going to do that, you would have to purchase hardware from an HPE or a Dell, even if you're just putting it in your own data center. Yeah. Well, I mean, neither of those companies are killing it. So I don't think it's happening. I mean, I haven't, I haven't dug into their numbers for, for a long time. Um, you know, in the current economic environment, I mean, part of repatriation involves a CapEx expenditure for companies where, you know, if I'm building out my data center, I got to buy boxes, I got to buy switches. So the expenditure, you know, what is today an OPEX expenditure and turning that into a CapEx expenditure, um, we're now in an economic environment where that's even less interesting than it, it may have been before. And it presumes that you have the talent and it's a priority. You know, of all the things that IT departments can be doing is running your own servers really the highest value activity. I'm skeptical. And I think I think most companies understand that. Right. In, in what way would, does the current economic climate incentivize OPEX over CAPEX? Well, you, to the degree that things are tighter um, from a budgetary perspective, to the degree that interest rates have gone up and the cost of capital has gone up, spending money on CapEx, spending money on hardware is more expensive um, than it was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Um, so as budgets get squeezed, if you show up and say, hey, I need a whole bunch of new servers, why do you need those servers? Well, we have this application that's running perfectly well in the cloud, but we want to run it ourselves. Um, you know, the average CFO is going to look at you a little funny. Well, what do you make of the 37 Signals story that's come out recently where they're saying they're going to save $7 million over the next five years, and they've been very public about getting out of the cloud and how they're going to do it, how they're going to save their money. They've got a new open source project that's going to help them with the automation. And 
you know, and all the rest. Are they a one-off? I, I think they've done a phenomenal job generating PR for themselves. And, you know, it is telling for the whole repatriation debate that this teeny, teeny, teeny little company who need a rack or two has become the poster child for repatriation. It also says something that, you know, they still haven't pulled it off yet. So we'll see, we'll see how that works. But $7 million over, over a couple of years, um, you know, Amazon's on an 80 plus billion dollar run rate for AWS. It really is a drop in the bucket. And the fact that it's the same two or three examples that get brought up in every repatriation example, if it was a real trend, I mean, we ought to be able to point to hundreds and hundreds of examples. And at the same time, you know, the move towards the cloud continues unabated. I mean, Uber, who were one of the big holdouts for, we have to run our own data centers, we get a technology advantage out of that. In the last month, they've decided, nope, we're going to the cloud. Let's get that cost off our books. Let's focus our team and our engineering talent further up the stack instead of configuring servers. And part of the argument for why companies have been spending so much in the cloud and they can do better with repatriation is because they never refactored their applications. They never went cloud native. They never cost optimized how their applications run in the cloud. They just picked up a VM and moved it uh, pretty much. Yep. So if you, so you could argue that you could put your energy not, not into repatriation, but into actually going into the refactoring of your app so that you can yep. begin save money if you need to. Does that yep. make sense to you? And, and, you know, there's always this trade-off between what's more important. Is it new capabilities or is it cost mitigation? You know, Dropbox is the other big poster child for cloud repatriation and Dropbox, you know, to the degree that they're a large scale, very homogenous storage centric company, I'm sure there were cost savings for them to go and do that. But they spent a couple of years moving out of the cloud. And at the time they were doing that, their revenue growth stopped and their innovation stopped. And so the idea that you can both control your infrastructure and operate very low in the infrastructure stack and do things that add value to customers and drive revenue, I'm skeptical you can do both. And everybody's got to make trade-offs. Everybody's got to decide where to deploy their scarce resources. I'm not sure repatriation is the, the highest bang for your buck. Well, the talent question is another big one. Where are companies going to find people, operators that can do yep. the DevOps work and the automation and whatever it takes these days to run a modern infrastructure team. Those people are increasingly hard to come by. The skill sets are more complex and there is no straightforward training path to make, to find that human that can do all of those things. So that's yet another question mark that uh, muddles the yep. waters here for me. Yep. So it's, I mean, to me, it looks like the new private cloud or edge, it's, you know, it's a good marketing story for people who have a vested interest in, you know, making the old stuff look new, but I don't see it as a, as a major trend uh, happening in the, in the real world. I like what you, you point out there that choosing to repatriate is a trade-off. You are choosing to invest your skills and time in one activity versus another. And there's an opportunity cost to that. And, and in the example of Dropbox, to a certain degree, they had hit a point where they were in a stable position where yep. the cost was worth it. Maybe. 
And that that was part of the initial repatriation pitch is that, you know, if your business has reached a steady state, if you're no longer growing, if you're no longer adding new capabilities, then yes, cost optimization is probably the top of your list. But, you know, there aren't that many companies, particularly when you get into the enterprise space where they all have a huge backlog of application level, customer facing, internal workflow processes that they want to build out. They're not, hey, we're done from a software perspective. Now let's go cost optimize it. Just not a priority for many companies. Yeah, the post that I remember kicking this off the most was the A16Z yep. uh, post that was called the the cloud, the multi-billion dollar paradox or something along those yep. lines. And yeah, I think that you're right. The, their central conceit was if you're done with innovation, then you go into cost saving. Yeah, it was totally a financialization um, mindset. Um, you know, they're just trying to increase the valuation of the companies that they invest in. And ironically, they wrote that at pretty close to the market top. So if you go back and redo their numbers, where we're now in a world where our profit dollar is worth a lot less from a market cap perspective, um, the numbers are are a lot less compelling, even by the financial math that they were offering. I'm trying to follow that in my head because I do. I'm not good. Well, it used to be if you're if you were <laughs> trading at a huge price to earnings multiple, so an additional dollar of profit. So if I save some money on my my infrastructure costs, that dollar drops to the bottom line, and the market then values that at you know some absurd number like twenty times next year's revenue. Well, valuations have come way down. So saving that dollar today has a much smaller impact than it did at the, the height of the bubble. Gotcha. So if I am a company and I am being was valued at a 20x multiple, now I might be valued at a 4x. Yep. So saving a dollar then was $20 and yep. saving a dollar now is four bucks. Exactly. But I but I will have spent that whatever it cost me in CapEx to build things yep. back. Yeah, well, and, and the opportunity cost is even more important, right? right? What software investments could you have made that would have driven, um, you know, better productivity internally, more revenue on the customer front, you know, better competitive moats? There are lots and lots of things you can do with software besides cost optimization. And I would argue most of those other things have a higher return. Yeah, when, when you said it in, in that way, I'm just thinking to myself, the name of the game is innovation. Once you go into a cost optimization cycle, you're basically admitting defeat with your product. Yep. You're done. Isn't that, that's whole like AWS's whole mantra is that it's always day one. Yep. Yeah. I won't, I won't ask why you're the day two podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we acknowledge that there is in fact a day two, but in a yeah. di slightly different capacity. <laughs> a different, different definition than the Amazon one of stasis and whatever else. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, go ahead, Jay. Charles, I want to go back to the uh, the, the topic of edge um, because that we've been pitched by a lot of companies that aren't the big three. The big three are certainly there and expanding their edge footprints, but there's a lot of upstart companies with maybe they're filling a niche or they're catering to certain customers that want them to build out these data centers. Do you see enough CapEx in the edge market that there could possibly be a dent or an impact to what the big three are doing? No. 
Okay. Easy. Answer. I mean, these are, <laughs> these are still teeny companies and it's, you know, I understand why people are promoting the edge. They don't want to compete with the hyperclouds head on, which makes perfect sense. So they are trying to generate a new segment, a new niche where people will demand edge. Um, their ability to differentiate from the big clouds is still questionable. And the clouds today have huge edge presences, right? They have CDNs, they have outposts, they have Azure Stack, and it leverages the software architectures that are at the heart of those hyperclouds. And no startup, no um, small company is going to be able to match the scale and the capability and the ecosystem and the network effects around those things. Um, and, you know, a bunch of the people who are pushing edge, they're, they're people who sell real estate, they're telcos, and, you know, the telcos love to um, tell us about how, hey, there's a network involved, so, you know, we're going to be very successful in their yep. this space. Their track record is is not great on delivery. So some of that is marketing hyperbole. You know, there are a set of edge use cases. And, you know, I think you're going to see the the big hyperclouds compete for a lot of those. And we'll see how it shakes out. There may be defensible niches for startups and edge-focused companies, but how big those things are, um, how resistant they are to the hyperclouds pushing into that space, we'll see. How resistant they are to purchase. <laughs> that too. And that, mm. you know, part of it may be, hey, uh, buy me. Yeah, pretty much. So let's let's bottom line this for the cloud architects, the the engineers that are listening. What impact does this have on their day-to-day -day in terms of learning, looking for new opportunities, or just, you know, how does this, this impact their career overall? Well, I think it's it's a good lens if you're dependent on a, a vendor. And the reality is if you go with the cloud, you're taking an enormous dependency on a vendor. CapEx is a great test of is your vendor serious? Is your vendor continuing to invest? Is your vendor keeping up with the investments that the other clouds are making? And you know, it'll tell you whether they're going to be around or not. You know, again, back to that IBM example. You know, God forbid you fell for for IBM Cloud, and if you looked at the capex numbers, you know it was it was down and to the right, um, like most other IBM metrics. But it would have told you that they're not going to keep up with the AWSs, the Azures, the GCPs. Right. Okay. So maybe, uh, and it seems like it's even a useful metric for the non-hyperscalers. So if you are looking into one of these alternative clouds. Yeah, you, it, I mean, I one of these days I'll publish the numbers for Cloudflare and Fastly and Akamai. And, you know, it's definitely interesting to watch. And, you know, the takeaway from the big cloud guys is they had successful businesses, they invested at the right level, and you saw these curves go up and to the right. And you can see some of that in particularly Cloudflare has the most interesting numbers um, in that space where they clearly are investing in the business. Fastly's been a little bit more erratic and Akamai was kind of sleepy for a long time. And, you know, they've got to replumb a lot of stuff to be a modern platform. So, you know, it's just it's an interesting lens to to look at what's going on. And historically, that was never true in the software world, right? CapEx was irrelevant. It was meaningless. It just didn't happen. 
Um, so it's just it's a new lens that you can use to look at what's going on in these these businesses that run stuff on your behalf, right? It's the the cloud is somebody else's server. Well, how many servers does that somebody else have? CapEx will tell you that. Well, Charles, if folks want to read this future article that might be about Cloudflare, uh, where can they find you on the internet? I uh, do my long form Twitter on my blog at platformonomics.com. And I also uh, do color commentary on Twitter at Charles Fitz, F-I-T-Z. Awesome. Well, Charles, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. I, I learned a lot. I feel a little, a little more funny. Aware. Glad to hear it. I enjoyed the conversation. And hey, listeners, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we want to hear about them or really anything about the podcast. We are open to suggestions. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow, or you can fill out the request form on Day2Cloud.io. Hey, uh, vendors out there, if you've got a way cool cloud product that you want to share with our audience of IT professionals, you could become a Day2 Cloud sponsor. You'll reach several thousand listeners, all of whom have problems to solve. Maybe your product fixes their problem, but they'll never know unless you tell them about your amazing solution. You can find out more at packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.